Hello, and welcome to Drag Time with Hecklina. This is the podcast where we discuss drag culture, performance arts, film and television, travel, sexual escapades, generation gaps, things that are political, cancel culture, porn, sex, sex, work, displacement, and just generally about living the creative life. Uh, Drag Time with Hecklina features a new special guest on every episode, and we have somebody very exciting with us today. But first, thanks for the tips. Uh, we also love your reviews. You can visit our website at dragtimewithhecalina.com for all the ways that you can support us. And it is as easy as telling people you know about our podcast. Now, our next guest's photos have been featured in books. She has two books of her own. She's been in magazines, art exhibits, and documentaries. She has been a nightlife promoter, a playwright, actress, game show hostess, and journalist. Uh, and we're talking to her today... Uh, specifically or especially about her underground magazine, My Comrade, and her new photographic essay book coming out this month, and it is called The Drag Explosion. Give it up for the legendary Linda Simpson. Hi, Linda. Hi, Hecklina. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, thank you so much for sending me. So now catch me up. So your zine was called My Comrade back in the day. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, yes. And uh, and and now you have your book Drag Explosion, which I looked at today and I was so thrilled to see all those these images, you know, like before the days of the Internet, uh, things were not obviously not as chronicled as they are nowadays. So it's so important to have images of those amazing, you know, nightclubs in those times. I saw RuPaul, I saw Michael Alec, I saw uh, Amanda Lepore, Lady Bunny, all these, all the, Lee Bowery. I mean, it was amazing. So tell us more about the book. It's coming out this month, right? Yes. And um, as you mentioned, it's called The Drag Explosion. And um, uh, for several years, I've been doing a slideshow. Um, remember, I did it at Oasis. At yes. Oasis. I do. And um, so it tells the history of New York's um, night or drag scene in the 80s and 90s through the photos that I took. And um, it was just this year that um, an art director and I, uh, his name is David Knowles, decided to collaborate on a book. And so it's a book version of this slideshow that I've been doing, but it's different too because um, some of the images are the same, some are different. And the format's a little different. And um, I'm really proud of it. I think it's a great coffee table book, and it tells a history. Definitely. I mean, that is a, such an amazing nightclub era of New York. It was right after Andy Warhol died, and uh, and the drag queens kind of took over. Um, I, I saw, like, you know, I, I read some of Lady Bunny's foreword, and she was talking about how, you know, when, the, when it was like this moment in time when uh, drag queens were out, things were really colorful before the kind of machismo took over with circuit parties and stuff. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, I think that her, um, you know, version of that history is correct. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, it was. I, I was. I started doing drag in the late 80s. So it was mm-hmm. just kind of coincidental that mm-hmm. I was at the right place at the right time because that's when drag like really blew up. I mean, there was already an underground scene, but sure. um, but over the next you know five, seven, six years, that's when drag really, really started becoming popular. When did you start doing drag? 
I started doing drag uh, in the mid '90s in '95. Okay, all right, mm-hmm. yeah, but, and I mean, drag was still, you know, I mean, drag was going very strong at that point. Yeah, but I was still uh, very uh, enamored with the nightclub scene, uh, you know, in the late '80s. I was mostly, I was living in Iceland at the time, so I was when I would when I would not go nightclubbing, I would go to like London, mm-hmm. and um, and you know. Some of the same people I would see there, like Lee Bowery and stuff. But um, I didn't make it to New York until '94, uh, and I remember going to the Pyramid and seeing, um, you know, Flotilla and Misunderstood and all that stuff. But it's uh, I love your images of like, what, is, is that the basement of the Pyramid? Like there are pictures of Lip, Lip Synca, like in this sweaty <laughs> room, you know, really early Lip Synca and. Um, and Sweetie and Mistress Formica uh, in, a, in a rare photo with her and Lady Bunny together. I, I know uh, they, they uh, didn't always get along so uh, great. Uh, but uh, <laughs> you can almost you can almost smell the photos. You know what I mean? It's, it's like it's like it's like cigarette smoke and sweat and, you know, all this stuff. So I, and I, I also loved the images of the of the Go-Go Boys, too. Right, there's their sweat also. Oh uh, um, yeah. <laughs> well, well, yeah. I think um, my photos, um, if I may say so, are kind of a rare um, look or a, a rare vantage point because, first of all, like you mentioned, Heckling, people really didn't carry around cameras back then. So right. I, I was just doing it all for fun, but I ended up taking a lot of photos of events and people that really didn't get photographed much. Mm-hmm. And, and then also because I was part, I was right in the middle of the action. A lot of my photos are sort of behind the scenes. Like the pyramid club um, was where I was started throwing parties in 1990, but my universe revolved around the dressing room, which was quite spacious. And it was like a hangout too. Mm-hmm. So most of my photos from the pyramid are down there. Or like there's a chapter about wig stock. Mm-hmm. All of my photos, I think, are from backstage, or maybe not all of them, but, mm-hmm. but none of them are on stage. They're more kind of like about the atmosphere that was being created then. That's so, great. So some, some, a couple of people have described my photos being like a, a photos in my book as being like a scrapbook. And yeah. I would agree. It is sort of a, pers- a personal um, view. And, and one thing I do like to make clear, though, it's not like I don't try to act like it's the comprehensive um, documentation of that era. Like it, it was ultimately my quirky view because I didn't carry my camera all the time. It was kind of random. And there's a lot of stuff I wish I had taken photos of yeah. or, or I just didn't, you know, or I just didn't attend or, you know, there was a lot of important stuff going on. So it's more my journey than anything else. Well, that's what makes it so precious uh, to to have these snapshots because I forget who said it, but there was somebody said, you know, like there's there's all these just lipstick traces of these most amazing periods of time where nobody had cameras. Where nowadays, you know, when when nightclubs are open, you have like 300 photos of the most boring, <laughs> like frat party or whatever, like you know, circuit party. But but all this other stuff is just lost. So stuff like this is so important to give people an idea. Now, um, can you give me some, you know, I'll, I'll throw out some names, but give me some uh, favorite memories of backstage RuPaul. 
Well, Rue, I met, I think I met Rue in the late 80s. And I think that was Rue, from what I've read, that was Rue's second um, move to New York. I think she had moved to New York once um, and then went back to Atlanta and then moved back again. And I, I met Rue, Paul, at um, Taboo's house. And I remember, I think we all went out to the pyramid after that. We smoked a joint first. Mm-hmm. But um, but I always thought Rue was fun. I mean, Rue was, you know, we were all in the same circle. And mm-hmm. I enjoyed Rue a lot. I think even back then, she was sort of a solo act yeah. um, and had ambitions, of course, of getting far. I, I thought that Rue actually should try being a makeup artist because that Rue was really good with makeup back then. But, um, you know, obviously she went on. To, she did listen to me and, um, <laughs> and was able to um, find success um, mm-hmm. in another field. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always thought Rue was very entertaining. Yeah. And what about, give me some uh, memories of, I love the images of Lipsinka just starting out. Yeah. Well, Lipsinka was um, really an interesting queen because she was, you know, part of the pyramid scene, I would say more than any other scene. And she was a very polished queen. Like a lot of, like a lot of the joy about the pyramid club, at least during the eighties, was that you didn't have to be really precise about your lip syncs and, you know, mm-hmm. your wig could be a little askew. And that was the fun of it. But, right. but Lipsinga was very polished with, you know, extremely precise lip syncing too, which of course is uh, what made her famous. And um, so um, I would say that she kind of just stood out from the pack just by being, you know, a queen that was more professional perhaps than, you know, anybody else on the scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, yeah, and that's that's still kind of how she is today. Uh, and uh, tell me about the holy terror that was Lee Bowery. Well, Lee, um, um, everyone will know who Lee is, right? Do I need to explain who he is? Uh, it's shockingly, shockingly, people like work his looks. But but when yeah. I, when I when when I say, oh my god, you look like Lee Bowery, they're like, who? So I, th- I think a lot of people don't even realize how influential he was. Oh. I know, right? Lee was a real original. Lee, yeah. Lee, was, Lee was Australian. And then I know, you know, I'm not sure what year he moved to London, like in the late 80s or mid 80s, and then became, you know, one of the best known eccentrics on yes. the scene. It was like fame for his bizarre looks. Yes. But, but he would fly over to New York once in a while and would raise, you know, holy terror by, you know, running from club to club. I mean, he was a really big guy, and his costumes were like, I don't know how he, you know, difficult to maneuver (laughs) in many ways. But he would just, like, barge around. And then I I did talk to Lee a couple of times, and I was really shocked and flattered that he knew who I was, because I considered, like, him to be, like, a really big celebrity. But, but But Lee kept pretty close tabs, I think, on the New York scene, and so I think he knew like all the characters. Like by then I was, you know, a bit known on the drag scene. So I think he knew like, you know, everybody, you know. So that was kind of, I, I, I thought that was cool. Really cool. Um, tell us about Lady Bunny. Well, Lady Bunny, by the time I started doing drag, was already doing drag. Because I started hanging out at the Pyramid first before I started, you know, um, before I took the drag plunge. And I became friends with, like, Taboo and Bunny and Sister Dimension and Happy Face, you know, the other, the big queens of that um, 
the club. And um, Bunny, you know, was always very hysterical, you know, not, <laughs> not unsimilar to what she is today. Uh-huh. And, um, and then when I started doing drag, um, you know, Bunny was really, um, <laughs> you know, um, um, inviting and um, unfriendly to me at the same time. But, but at the same time, it was mostly just for stage. You know what I mean? Sure. I mean, mm-hmm. you know how Bunny loves to insult. And so, and so Bunny and I have this, to this day, have a public, you know, appearance of not getting along. When in <laughs> fact, you know, we are friends. Yeah, and, yeah. You know how it is. You've had your nights and days with Bunny. Oh, I've definitely had my ups and downs with Bunny. I mean, uh, I mean, yeah. Tra- yeah, you guys weren't talking for a while, right? Yeah, that was, uh, we had a, a feud that lasted, lasted a couple years, I think. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. We had a big fight at a, at a club in San Francisco. I think that's what caused I don't remember, actually. But, um, but yeah, she's hilarious. And she's, and, and like you say, really, really inviting and friendly. And then really, really unfriendly at the same time. <laughs> well, when, when I say unfriendly, it's mostly a joke, of course. Of course, of know? course, yes. But, but, but certainly Bunny is a fiery personality in many ways, and you're, you're not the only one that she's had feuds with. You know, I've never, had, a, I've never had like a major um, mm. fight with her. I mean, we've had some spats, but nothing that wasn't, you know, solvable pretty easily. Yeah, no, and uh, Bunny is one of the first people who I was kind of like, oh, I see what she's doing. She's acting like an idiot to keep people away from her, like, you know, out of the nightclub or something. If you, if you know, you have a lot of annoying people come up to you and you just have to act kind of like an idiot and they'll stay away from you. So actually, I, I, kind, of, I kind of admire that because like, you don't, totally, I mean, totally. I, I, I've gotten into so many boring conversations at clubs mm-hmm. where I can't get away, but when Bunny just goes, and just walks away, it's like, what can you do? No, no, she, it's, it's, it's genius. It's kind of like how Andy Warhol always had a camera to keep people <laughs> away from him, you know? Uh-huh. Uh, well, so, yeah, I mean, I love that you had your own zine. I remember the era of the zines. Um, and can you tell us more about My Comrade and, and your zine? Yeah, well, well, um, this my comrade um, was a zine that I produced, and it started way back in '87. And this was during the peak of the AIDS crisis, and so it was sort of my artistic response to, like, you know, the really harsh conditions that were going on. And I thought, remember, the gay press back then was really sparse, and you know, sad. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. so so I wanted something really upbeat and like uplifting. So I kind of so what I did is I like tapped into like the activist spirit that was going on, but 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 also kind of like glorifying the drag queen um East Village scene that was going on and like you know putting sexy guys in it and just kind of having like this, you know, tongue-in-cheek revolutionary feel. But it was all about kind of you know, gay camaraderie and love and unity, you know, with a really mm-hmm. campy touch. I mean, mm-hmm. the magazine was very, like, underground, and I kept it going for, like, about, oh, I don't know how long, for about um, seven or eight years. But I kind of, like, I, it got, um, I tried to make it bigger and bigger all the time, and it kind of got um, overwhelmed me after a while. I did do a couple of revival issues, like, around 2005, I think. Mm-hmm. And never say never. I might do it again, I, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I, I also saw in in the in your book there was an image of Michael Alleg. Did you go to his parties a lot? Yeah, I did. I mean, I was an East Village queen, and back then, 
you know, there were, you know, often you would, many of the friends I knew would just stay in the East Village, you know, or you might be um, part of the club kids scene. You would just stay in the club kids scene and stuff like Michael's Alex scene. However, I really liked exploring. So I ventured out a lot. So I was at the limelight and the tunnel and Palladium and Roxy. And, you know, I, I mean, I worked at some of these places, but I just really was swept away by the nightlife. I mean, you could get me to go out even when I wasn't getting paid. That's for sure. Uh-huh. I, just, I, I just had, what's it called? Fear of, what's it? Fear of uh, FOMO. Fear FOMO. of missing out. Yes. I had FOMO before the term was even invented. And, yeah. and, um, but also back then, I mean, as we were mentioning, talking about drag queens were like VIPs. So, mm-hmm. you know, you would probably get in free to the clubs and the, that you were going to, you know, drink tickets were handed to you. So it was like, um, you know, a pleasant experience in that yeah. regard. I, probably, yeah, yeah. I, wasted, I wasted a lot of time going out too. And, and, you know, killed a lot of brain cells. But I did enjoy myself. <laughs> I love that, too. I, I remember that. Like, I remember that I had to go out every night in case I missed something. And now you just, you know, if I'm not working, you cannot get me out to a club. Oh, um, I, I hear you. I hear yeah. you. Or, or I'm, I might go out, but I'm, not, mm-hmm. I'm probably not going to go to a nightclub. What do you think of, uh, what do you think of New York now? These days. You mean at this very moment? Well, uh, before COVID, I guess. Well, you know, I mean, you know, I've been in New York a long time. So one thing you ha- have to just accept is that New York constantly changes. Yeah. And, and even the stuff that you might not like, uh, um, you've got to sort of, you know, shrug your shoulders and resignation. Because if you just sit around, like, you know, complaining all the time, it's it's it, it'll weigh on you, you know. Um, I think you know you being from San Francisco, you know what the yeah, that's like too. It's you know? yeah, and I mean it's true. I mean there are so many people in San Francisco who are so angry about how it's changed, and uh, you know you just have to accept it. Um, and you know now with COVID, it might go back then. It's, it's a wasteland all over again. So it might go back to some semblance of freaks being able to live there again you know yeah it might be i don't know i mean the rents i know have dropped somewhat in new york but i don't know they're still they, they were so expensive to you know pre-covid i can't they'd really have to go down in order to kind of get that you know bohemian crowd to move back to new york city yeah oh well oh uh, let's shift to a fun topic instead of the decay of the big city <laughs> uh i'm really jealous because you have a very a lucrative i'm assuming bingo gig going on well, so yes you you it was it was a really well attended bingo game in the real world and now it's a virtual game yeah i mean i don't know if lucrative but it's keeping my head above water certainly and um but but yeah no my big shtick um for years has been hosting bingo. And I do like, you know, a modern version of fun, like a game show version of it. It's fun. And um, so when, you know, um, COVID hit, I had to like all of us pivot. And so now I have an online weekly bingo and it's, it's a lot of fun. I really enjoy it. And then I've been doing a lot of private parties too. So, mm-hmm. so it's, it's been a good gig for me actually. And um and, you know, I'm a Zoom queen now. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so so it, it's good in that I've also managed to kind of expand my, you know, 
um, base, you know, because I have a lot of people that attend from all over the place, not just New York City. And so people can go on to lindalovesbingo.com. Is this every Saturday now? Yeah, it's every Saturday. And um, it's at 8 um, Eastern time. And um, and it's it's fun. It's like we give away goofy prizes. And I have, I have guest stars like Peppermint's been on and um, Justin Vivian Bond and Amanda Lear and um, Animatronic. Oh, I actually, I was, Animatronic um, came to my mind after I heard her being interviewed on your podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. Amanda Lear? Oh, did I say Amanda Lear? You said Amanda Lear. <laughs> I meant Amanda Lepore. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Amanda Lepore is pretty cool, but Amanda Lear would be amazing. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? Oh, my God. that would be Now, that's probably someone else that people aren't going to get the reference to as easily. But, well, uh, I mean, Amanda Lear was probably the, one of the most famous transsexual pop stars in the 70s. Exactly. She was a disco queen, but she was more popular in Europe than she yeah, was in America. She, yeah, she had that single Queen of China. Uh, China Queen of Queen of Chinatown. China yeah, yeah, yeah. She had some amazing stuff. Oh, and she I, had, and I think she had an affair with Bowie. I think so. She was rumored to have affairs with lots of people. Um, and also she was the muse of Salvador Dali. But the most interesting part is she never came out of the trans closet. I mean, everybody knew it, and she did pass, but she's always been, you know tight-lipped about her, you know, trans um, history. You know, she's old school in that regard. Oh, that's strange. Hmm. Uh, maybe. I think that that was more the thing to do back then, though, was just to be stealth completely. Mm, okay. Uh, oh, here's a really important topic. What's your favorite memory of Hecklina? Oh, well, you know what it is, Hecklina. Do you remember this? This was a few years ago. And um, it was right when Drag Con um, was taking off. I think it was the second year. It was happening in LA, you know, uh-huh. RuPaul's big Drag Con. And so um, there was, I, I think this was a, maybe it was coincidental, maybe it was a satellite event, but you and a whole mess of other queens were performing at the Ace um, in downtown LA. Oh, yeah. And, um, and, I, you know what? I had been at RuPaul's DragCon all day, and you know it is what it is. I was they flew me out to be on a couple panels, so I'm very grateful. But you know that it was a very after a while being around you know twelve year olders in wigs. You know what I mean? Was yes. getting, was getting me down. Mm-hmm. So to go that night to see the Queens of Comedy, which was really a great event because it was like it was some RuPaul Drag Race queens. I think that was the year that Bob won. And she was one of the performers, but it was like Coco Peru, Jackie B, Lady Bunny, and then you and um, Peaches, and you guys were hilarious. It was uh-huh. it, the, the whole, the whole. It was really kind of inspiring. It reminded me of how much I liked drag, right, you know, right. rather than just being it, rather than it just being a commodity. No, it was totally. That was a fun event. Um, uh, I thought you were going to say. My favorite memory of you, which is so random, was bumping into you in Reykjavik. Oh, well, that was hysterical, too, wasn't it? We were both in drag. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was a judge at that at that event, and I forget somebody said to me, uh, do you know Linda Simpson? And you, that you were there. It was so weird. Uh, so you have some kind of connection with Iceland? Well, I have a friend who, who's Norwegian, and he knows a lot of people um, in Reykjavik. 
So we were um, on vacation, and I just happened to get in drag just for the hell of it. I, mm-hmm. I, I did know, I do know a woman that lives there named Maki, who's uh, used to live in New York for a while, and she's Icelandic. Uh huh. But I loved Iceland. That was my first time, and I it was great. I really, really enjoyed myself. Oh my god! Yeah, I was just there in August. I spent a month uh, of quarantine in Reykjavik, um, and I really can't wait to go back. Did I just say? Did I mispronounce the capital when I said it earlier? Um, but how do you say it? Reykjavik. Reykjavik, yeah. Okay, great. Now, do you know Icelandic? I do. Now, and how do you, because did you grow up speaking it? No, uh, my mother is Icelandic, but she's terrible. She only ever spoke English with me. I grew up in my real formative years. I grew up, I, I was a child in, in, in the States. I mean, I would, I would always go to Iceland for summer vacation, but then in my early teens, I lived there. And that's when I learned it. Um, and then and also my early adulthood. But it's it's not perfect. It's a bit rusty. So um, Still, I, I think that's impressive. I think it's kind of a – I think it would be a hard language to learn. But that being said, I'm not very good with foreign languages. It is. It's a very difficult language. It is – you know, everything is feminine and masculine. And, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, you're, you're supposed to intuitively know that. You know, I don't know how they do that. But uh, – um, <laughs> And also, what's your Minnesota connection? Well, my father is from Minnesota. He uh, he met my mother when he was stationed in Reykjavik. In he was stationed in Keflavik, which with the, the naval base was there. And they met at a dance in the early '60s. And uh, so he moved. He they married, and and my mother moved with him to Minnesota. And oh, that's I, where, yeah. I'm from Minnesota. Oh, where? Um, well, I grew up mostly in St. Paul. Okay. Well, I lived in St. Paul as a child on Charles Charles Avenue. Um, oh. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm not expecting that you wouldn't even know where that oh, is. Oh, that's such a slum. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, but but they're my my dad's side of the family. They're a bunch of rednecks, you know. Um, but you know, I, very nice people, and I don't really see them that often. My, where my do they dad, live? Well, they live mostly. Most of them live in Forest Lake, which is oh, yeah. about. Yeah, yeah, and um, I don't know. I mean, the very religious and Trumpy and all that mm-hmm. stuff. So I don't. Mm-hmm. But I mean, very nice people. But but just oddly, you know, xenophobic and all that stuff that that nice pe- that happens to nice people when they listen to Fox News or whatever. They're just like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. you know, jihad or whatever. I, I don't know. Yeah, I know what you um, mean. No, it's a dis. I have, I have relatives like that too. It's a real disconnect because they are nice people. Yeah, but their, but their political beliefs often seem so not nice. Yeah, or just kind of like it's almost like uh, in, in their DNA in a way. But um, mm-hmm. like a lot of born again shit, and mm-hmm. it's it's weird because Minnesota is kind of a progressive state, but mm-hmm. uh, in a way. But anyway, back to you. Thank you. <laughs> I want to hear some more memories of New York back in the day. So we talked about RuPaul. We talked about Bunny. Mm-hmm. talked about Lip Sync. talked about Lee Bowery. I saw a really early, early photo of Coco Peru in there with you. Oh, right. Um, and basically the same look, although I think it's a nice picture of Coco. Uh, yeah. And, um, yeah, she had, you know, Coco Peru had her signature look, you know, developed, mm-hmm. yeah. um, you know, a long time ago. And um, uh, Coco didn't, I don't think Coco like was part of the nightlife scene as much. I'm trying to think how we met, but, but she was, I guess I was a performer, you know, 
And um, I was always really fascinated because she was from the Bronx, you know, yeah. and had that uh, accent to prove <laughs> yeah. it. She's always been more of a cabaret performer than a nightlife person. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So. I, I saw, yeah, I, I saw image a lot, a lot of images of people who have since passed away. I saw Mona Foot in there. Oh yeah. Well, well, that one, one of the photos. I think maybe it's the only photo of her in there is from Wigstock West. Um, oh, when when uh-huh. Wigstock was in San Francisco one year. You know, I was just just getting started doing drag when Wigstock West happened, and. Um, this is how long ago it was. Uh, somebody was like, Lady Bunny wants a Diet Coke. And I went and got her a Diet Coke and I handed it to her and she took it from me. And I was like, oh, Lady, I gave Lady Bunny a Diet Coke. You know what I mean? I was so I was so in, uh, in, in awe of the New York queens at the time. You know, all of the people I looked up to were, you know, Formica and Jackie and Sherry and Bunny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was great. It was a pretty vibrant scene. I mean, San Francisco did have, though, kind of a thriving drag scene, too, I think. It was kind of like New York, San Francisco, Miami Beach, and then, I guess, L.A., too. Right. Um, you know, but there but there wasn't, you know, I mean, it wasn't like now, where there's five million drag queens, you know? Right. There, it was pretty concentrated. Or it was very divorced scenes from each other, like the pageant scene, you know, was a complete, that could have, might as well, you know, been on Mars. Sure. Well, I, I, Bunny has kind of straddled that scene in a way. Like she, she would like be at Escolita, and she had, she had, uh, she had connections with the Imperial Court. Like Coco, what was her name? Uh, Coco Lachine. Coco Lachine and stuff like that. So you know, Bunny is. Um, I've always been the kind of person where I celebrate any drag queen as long as they're not a cunt. You know what oh. I mean? Oh, I hear. Yeah. No, I enjoy meeting drag queens. And I, if, if I'm at a party and there's other drag queens, I always dra- gravitate towards the queens. You know, I was, I always want to meet them. You know, well, they're, yeah, well, they're a lot more interesting. Um, usually, usually. usually. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any future projects coming up uh, besides well, your book coming well, out? Well, the book is coming out, um, and that will, you know, I'm, I, it's a strange time to do a, you know, have a book. Um, uh, coming out, but I'm going to try to do some signings um, or a signing at least. And mm-hmm. um, I, I'd like to do my slideshow just in conjunction with the book's release. Mm-hmm. And um, I also just, I have another mini book coming out. It's called Malibu Mondays. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, it's like a, well, they're kind of like dirty little stories that I wrote that were actually, I, I, I would put them out on Mondays on Facebook and they're all about Caitlyn Jenner. And mm-hmm. someone, um, a, a couple of people um, put it, have put it together as this little book form. I mean, it's not very long. And it's illustrated, though, with like X-rated photos of Caitlyn. And it's hysterical, I must say. I think it's, <laughs> it, it's, it's very funny with like special appearances by like Kim Kardashian and um, um, Richard Simmons and Kanye. Um, Ted Cruz, et cetera, all kind of in like sexual um, oh. fantasies. Weird. <laughs> okay, so uh, people can buy your book at thedragexplosion.com. Yeah, well, they could, if they, um, if that will, they certainly can get the information um, about how to get, go to the publisher and buy it. Yes, it's, it's published by a company called Domain. Well, I saw the book today, and I, I can tell everybody out there that it's an amazing slice, 
and snapshot of a, of a New York that's long gone. And, uh, and I, uh, well, thank you for coming on the podcast today, Linda Simpson. Oh my God. Thank you so much for having me. Heckling. I listen um, to, I think I've listened to every episode and I've really enjoyed it. So brava on oh. your wonderful project. Oh, well, thank you so much. And Mark, Mark does all the work, but oh, um, well, Mark, Thank you so much for all your work and uh, making Heclina the star that she is. <laughs> all right. Well, she is Linda Simpson on Instagram and Facebook. You can follow her work on lindasimpson.org. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Heclina. If you love us, show it. Subscribe to the show. Like us. Rate us. And please tell anybody you can about Drag Time with Heclina. Once again, thank you, Mark. And thank you, Linda Simpson. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>